are continuing our message series called Pressure Points, and we started a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue talking about the pressure points that we face in life, and we're looking at it through the book of James in the New Testament of the Bible. And so over the next few weeks, and kind of where we've been heading is just looking at the chunks of scriptures from the book of James and pulling out uh, different themes. But the overall umbrella that we're looking at is is this idea of, of pressure points. And a pressure point is things that we face uh, which are difficult, uh, things that can overwhelm us, things that can cause anxiety. And our hope is that you kind of see that y- your life is a series of pressure points. And while that can be overwhelming, uh, there's this commonality that we have, and that is that, that we all face them. And because of that, uh, there's, there's comfort that, that we kind of can experience in this, this life that we live. Uh, but it's actually more than that, according to the scriptures. It's not only do we face pressure points, but it's in the pressure points of life where we can actually really meet with God and learn about him in key ways. It says, if as in the pressure points of life, our faith and our growth uh, is accelerated. We actually can grow in the midst of the pressure. And so while we want you to feel like, you know, I face pressure and my friends face pressure and my family faces pressure. We want you to also see that that's the point in which God really wants to meet you. He wants to meet you right there. And he he actually wants to grow you. And life is a series of walking through the pressures, not trying to go around them. And so in the book of James, we've been kind of pulling out that theme of pressure points and then talking about the specifics uh, that James uh, talks about. And so if you've missed any of the weeks uh, on this series, you can always listen online at churchinthevi.com. You click on the Alhambra campus and you will find the, the sermon player there and you can listen and you can download and you can also find the handout. So if you want to catch up, I encourage you uh, to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about pressure points and faith. How does our faith grow? And more specifically, we're actually going to be trying to define faith. Like, what is it? And faith is a term that we actually hear about quite often in our culture. Uh, We have kind of a common reference point for it. But for our purposes today, I'd like us to get kind of on the same page of what faith is. And according to the scriptures, it's more than an idea. It's actually something that translates into a way of living. Faith is something that is lived out. And so I want to kind of talk about that. But before that, I thought I would kind of pull in what are some common frameworks of faith and did some research. And like any good researcher, I went to the Internet and I went to Twitter and I did extensive research on February 28th. And I just typed in faith. I just wanted to know what would come up. And so here here were some of the, the statements. Faith in myself. That's all I need. Okay, Uh, your faith, good music and people will get you through life, especially through hard times. If you have faith, you have people, but your music's not good. You're in trouble. Okay. third faith makes all things possible. Hope makes all things work. Love makes all things beautiful. May you have all three. I got to admit, after I read that, I was like, that was deep right there. That's that was poetic. That, That one's poetic. And then I like this one, too. Fear keeps us up all night, but faith makes one fine pillow. What are you guys laughing about? That's that's deep right there. 
faith makes one fine pillow. And as I, as I read that, it was kind of as I thought. And that is, these, these are just random people. Um, I don't know who they are at all. But on just one given day, I searched this. And when you search Twitter, it keeps updating based on all the posts. And as I just looked at this in like a 15-minute period, more tweets kept coming. More t- tweets kept coming and just could refresh and more things came, more things came, more things came. And so there's just this constant flow of people living life and faith being a part of just their belief system. And if you kind of build your definition of faith based on these statements, uh, it leaves you with something like faith is belief or faith could be hope or faith could be trusting. Faith could be feeling something around those lines. And then if I were to ask you, well, what does that mean? That's where we kind of get stuck. And faith, a lot of times for us, is like an idea of something. It's in our head. It's like a cloud, but it's just there. And we're not exactly sure like what that means. But faith is actually a crucial part of life. And James, in his book and throughout the scripture, uh, you see faith coming up as like, this is one of the main things that you have to actually live by in life. But to live by it, you have to know what it is. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, The specific dictionary definition of faith is this, a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I believe this is like Google Dictionary. I don't know if Google actually has a dictionary, but when I typed it in, that's all it came up and there was no like reference to it. Is that true? Does Google have a dictionary? Seem like it. Josh works for Google. So anytime we mention Google, it's like, come on. Um, So I, I don't exactly know the source. All I know is if you type faith in Google, this comes up. Again, extensive research, okay? But this is actually a pretty good framework definition. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So you get this, this confidence, you get this, this trust. That's a component of faith. Trust, confidence. In the Bible, there's actually a verse that defines faith too. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So now you get like an, kind of an extra layer is kind of that trust, but it's the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance of things as they're meant to be, and then a conviction of things not seen. There's this, this idea of life should be a certain way, and you live life based on that being true. You may not be able to see it, but you believe it's true. And this is the working definition that I'm going to be kind of talking about faith. But in the scriptures, if you were to kind of define faith uh, Hebrews 11:1 1 is a good place to start, but you also see there's two common themes of faith. The reason I want to kind of bring this up is without the context of faith, as James talks about faith, we can kind of revert back to our Twitter mentality, kind of an idea. It's a feeling. It's a hope. But when you dig into the scriptures, faith is actually clearly defined and it's there's two sides to faith. Uh, the first is uh, trust in the Lord and then fear of the Lord. And this is actually where we get the assurance and we get the conviction that you see in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Okay? Uh, trust in the Lord is this idea that I believe God enough that he has the best outcomes for life. So if I choose to follow God in his path, I have a trust that his way will lead me to the best outcomes. The idea of trust is, you know, you put your weight on something. On this stage, I trust that it will hold me. If I didn't trust the stage, I wouldn't stand up here. And it's the same principle. If we trust God, it's this idea that like he's going to be able to hold up my life and 
it's going to support. But it's even deeper than that. It's like, but it's going to lead to the best outcomes. There's not another scenario. There's not another option around following God. But it's actually in following God that the best outcomes come. So trust in the Lord. The key question is, do I believe God enough to trust him to come through with the best outcomes? That's the assurance of things hoped for. In God will the best outcomes come. Okay? Uh, this, the second side of faith, fear of the Lord, is actually a deep respect for God that causes someone to live within his boundaries that he has set for living. So trust is he can support me and my life. I'm not going to overwhelm God. He's trustworthy. I'm not going to crush him. And he leads to the best outcomes. Well, fear of the Lord is that being true, that I'm going to stay on his foundation. I'm not going to veer off his path. I'm going to take him seriously. What he says is true. And so I'm going to obey him. And that's what fear of the Lord is. And so the key question is, do I believe God enough to stay inside the boundaries? That is the boundaries of his word and the life that he says it leads to the best outcomes. And so there's this singular like focus that, okay, in God's way, my faith says I can trust him and I can fear him. And that's actually how I stay on the path of following him. So they're like guardrails that keep us safe on the path as we walk with God. And so those, those, that's really the definition of what faith is. It's a, it's a deep trust. And it's a fear of him. You, you take him seriously. You want to do what he says. And the two are connected. You want to do what he says because he's trustworthy. And he's trustworthy because in his word, he's, he's found out true. He is who he says he is. And we could take him seriously. And so you see how the, those two uh, connect together. And so taking this, I want us to talk about what that looks like in life. And so real briefly, I want to describe what it means for somebody to choose faith in their life. And this is how you become a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who's decided to trust in God and to fear him. And that's what it means to live by faith. But sometimes that doesn't translate into what life looks like. And so I just want to briefly describe what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to use kind of a, a pie, okay? And our life normally looks like this. You see this on the screen. And we have different slices of life, okay? Uh, you can see them up there. Career, church, school, community, etc., money, uh, Jesus, family. Uh, this may not be always equal. There may be some slices of your own life which are bigger or smaller depending on the time, the attention, the meaning that they give to you. And oftentimes in life, uh, we add new pieces. Uh, so if you've kind of come to church or you're interested in Christianity or that's a part of you, then you kind of have the Jesus slice. And it may be more interesting or less interesting, and it may grow bigger or smaller depending on that. But we all have kind of money in there, our family. These are all the pieces of our life. But we tend to approach life like this where if we really dig in, if you look at the middle of that pie, who's in the middle? The self. Who's in the middle represents what we have faith in. So oftentimes, when we want to figure out outcomes, we look into ourself. And faith is this idea of we, we have to trust something. But the, more, the normal flow to life is that we trust ourself and our own outcomes for school or community or our family, our relationships, our money, our religion. Like, what, what do I believe? And if we don't trust in our own outcomes, then maybe we trust someone else's beliefs or ideas. And so we adopt theirs. But we all choose faith in someone. 
A Christian is someone who recognizes that we try to be the center of our life, but realize that that actually doesn't work. We can't come up with the best outcomes in each of those areas. So a Christian is somebody that takes the Jesus life. You go to the next slide. You take the Jesus slice out because life is actually not compartmental like this. When Jesus leads you, he doesn't lead you out of the slice of life. He actually leads you from the center of your life, from the core. And so a Christian is someone who removes Jesus from the slice. And if you go to the next slide there, now you see the difference. Now that is a key difference in life. Because now you can see Jesus has access to every segment of life. Before, when we're in the center, we just can kind of contain Jesus to whatever slice we give him, whether big or small. But if he's the center of our life and we decided to follow him and put our faith in him, it's removing us from the center as the boss and putting him as the center as the boss. And now you can see every area has access to him. And this is what faith, according to the scriptures, is. It's this decision that you make to remove yourself out of like centering and controlling your life to now letting Jesus call the shots. What he says in each of those areas is what I'm going to build my life on. The reason I do that is because I trust him. And I fear him. I actually want to do what he says. The reason I bring this up is James is writing to people from this perspective. Removing yourself from the center and putting Jesus in the center with access to every area. And so when the Bible speaks to us and Jesus leads us, we can take credence in that because we know that it actually speaks to each area. We've removed ourselves. Now, we still live our life and it's still a struggle where we still try to be in the middle of it all. And we just realize, OK, God, you're right. I can't I can't lead. I can't lead. I can't lead. So the Christian life is, is a struggle of this. But you make a decision ultimately that, okay, God, you, you get to call the shots. You get to determine how I should live in each of these. And you spend really the rest of your life figuring out what God wants and doing it. And so James writes with this uh, perspective. And James uh, talked a lot about faith in his book. Faith. He mentions 16 times. Belief, he mentions three times. So there's this common theme of faith. And he's writing the, the section we're going to talk about today about how to have a faith that makes you an effective, different person. So he's writing from this angle, not just faith, which is contained to the slice of Jesus in your life, but faith, which impacts every aspect of what we think and what we do and our own ambitions. And so I want to kind of give you this context so you can know kind of the audience that he's speaking to. He's, he's trying, them to, trying to help them get this, but also James' own uh, beliefs. And so kind of the overarching principle of this next set of scriptures related to, the, to this is, is this, that true and real faith leads to action and a changed life. And what he's saying again is all of us believe things that make no difference in our life. Faith cannot be like one of those beliefs where it's an idea about something that doesn't translate into a different life. And so I want to read this. And some of these are actually like sometimes the scriptures. It's like a like a little sparring match. I don't know if you guys have ever sparred. I haven't done much boxing in my life, but I have done a little bit. 
And sometimes as I read the scriptures, I feel like I'm in a sparring session where, you know, I'm kind of have my own and I'm just life's good. And then I get kind of clipped on the chin like a little wake up call. If you've never sparred like this point, it's just going to not make any sense to you. So I apologize. But the scriptures do that. It has a way of just kind of hitting you right where you are sometimes to challenge your perspective, to shake you up a little bit. And and James, he's trying to do that. And so let's follow along. It says this. What good is it? Put it up there on the screen so people can see it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then he goes on in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So he's like jabbing you. And then there's like a right hook on that last statement. And what he's saying is belief in God is not enough. This just belief like there is a God. He's there. It's not enough. And why? Because the spiritual forces of evil believe God is there. So belief is not enough. That's not real faith. And in the preceding verses, he's showing that real faith leads you to action. Real living faith leads you to action. Now, there's an important distinction here. And that is you cannot earn your salvation. And he's talking about works. and He's talking about faith and works. But he's talking about that for the person that has decided to follow Christ. They have taken their selves out of the center. And Jesus is in the center now. But there's a part of us that when we are still in the center of our life, where we try to earn God's favor, like we try to be good enough, smart enough. We kind of know that things are stacked up maybe against us. And we think if I do good enough, if I'm kind enough, if I believe enough, then I'm going to kind of stack the scales back into my favor. And so Christian faith, you cannot be saved. You're not okay because of what you do. We have all sinned and we fall short of God's best for us. There's nothing that we can do that can earn God's favor, but through Jesus, him taking us out of the center and putting him in the center, we can actually live a different kind of life. And this is what James is describing. Not that you're saved by what you do, but that when you're saved, you will actually do differently. So he's coming from this angle of if you just believe this is true, but it's not real to you, it's not going to make any difference. So this idea of true Versus real. I want to describe this paradigm a little bit. True uh, is something that is true factually. We all have things that are true in our life, but don't necessarily make a difference. So true that's not real to us is just factual information. So many times the Christian faith can be true, but not real to us. So factual information like the circumference of the earth, it's 24,901 miles. That's true. Does that make a difference on my life? There's never been a situation that I faced that I said, well, based on the circumference, I shouldn't do that. Now, if I'm an airline pilot, it makes a difference. If I'm studying the earth and the characteristics of it, that's important to know. But I don't live my life with that knowledge kind of in mind guiding me. It's true. But it's not real. It's not impacting me. 
So something that's true and real, eh, the circumference, circumference of the earth, not really. But you know what is true and real in life? Fire. You know why? Because when I was like five years old, I had a lighter and I put my finger over it. And I had heard like, don't do that. It was true to me. But when it became real was when it really started to hurt. And then I just dropped it and looked at my finger and showed my mom and a blister was already forming. Do you know from then I've never done that and thought that it would be cool ever again. (laughs) Why? Because it became real. It impacted me. If it was just true, there's this knowledge of fire being hot. that it makes no impact until you get burnt. Then it's real. So now I live my life a little bit differently. So I tell my kids, you know, don't play with matches. Because you could get hurt. If we ever light candles at our home, before we go to bed, we blow them out. Why? Because we don't want to burn our house down. We don't leave with just flames in our house. Not that anyone would. That makes no sense. But you get what I'm saying. It's true and real. It impacts us. And what James is saying is your faith has to be both true and real. If your faith is just belief that God is there and it doesn't translate into you acting differently, then he's describing like Jesus, he he may not be at the core of your life. It may not be real. You still may be controlling how you live. And so he's challenging us at the framework of of our idea. And he uses some practical examples. So uh, in the passage... In verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, if you could kind of scroll back, uh, he, he says what faith would look like if it wasn't real. If it was just true, but not real, uh, this is what would happen. Uh, it wouldn't lead us to action. Uh, that's verse 14. Uh, we'd be full of words and ideas, uh, but we wouldn't help with the practical needs around us. You can see that in 15. Okay? So it wouldn't lead us to action, and then we'd be full of words and ideas, but it wouldn't actually translate into anything. And then last, 16 and 17, our faith becomes useless. If your faith is true, but it's not real, if it doesn't actually impact you and lead you to live differently, it's useless. It's it's actually no good. It has no advantage for your life. And then in uh, verses 18, he describes what happens when it becomes real. And that is uh, verse 18a. You, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, he's there describing this idea of, again, the faith and works tension. You can't work your way into God's favor. But when you follow God, your works should show that it is true. And so you, you, you live with that in, in mind. Like, God, I can't earn it. Your grace is all that I need by faith. But that faith will lead me to trust and will lead me to fear, which will lead me to a different kind of life. And then our works show that our faith is real. And that's that's what he's what James is describing. So true and real faith leads us to action and really a changed life over time. He goes on further and he kind of further illustrates this. And he just kind of takes this next section just just in case you miss what he's saying. He uses some examples from the Old Testament to kind of further uh, communicate it. And that is faith becomes alive and real as we do what God says in the midst of the pressure. So he's describing true and real faith in what I just read. And then he's describing, well, how does that happen? 
how does your your faith actually grow? And this is where the pressure points and faith come together. And he uses two examples from the Old Testament. These are two characters in history that chose faith in a particular difficult moment. And so what James is describing is what real faith is. And then he's saying, you want to see it? Let's look at history. And his audience are Israelites. They know the Old Testament. They know the old stories. They know of how God came through and how people followed him. And they know of how people didn't follow him and the kind of consequences of that. They knew all these stories. And so he's describing this Christian faith, what this new life in Christ looks like. He wants them to be effective. He wants them to live changed lives. And so he goes into the very kind of world that they lived in. This is the Old Testament faith. And he he challenges them with two key characters. The first is Abraham. And we learn from Abraham's faith in his own pressure cooker as he faced a daunting assignment. And so he goes on. James describes this in chapter 2, verse 20. So do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Now, again, okay, James, he's going after them. You think this is just an idea? You think Christianity is just kind of like a nice fact that's true. Let me challenge you on that. So he's, you know, he's jabbing some more. That, so you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So now you see it again. Faith and action. Faith and a changed life. Faith that is seen in trusting and fearing God. And he uses the story of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to have time to really kind of peel back this whole story because it's a kind of important time in history. But if you'd like to read more about the life of Abraham, you can start in Genesis chapter 12. It's the first book of the Bible. If you've never read Genesis, I encourage you to do that. You can begin to see God intersecting with history from creation to man learning how to live for him. Fast forward from Genesis 12. This happens in Genesis 22. God actually asks him to give up his son Isaac as a sacrifice for him. It was like a test of his faith. But the significance of this was actually not just the child sacrifice alone, because in these times, child sacrifice was somewhat common, which is just crazy to think. But it was actually based on what God had promised Abraham. And in Genesis, God told this to Abraham. He says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And through Abraham, God said that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. Well, how would blessing flow from one man to the world? Well, it would flow through the offspring, right? This is how a generation is impacted through kids that have kids that have kids. And so Abraham knew this as he's talking about being a blessing to the nation and his offspring and his name. It's going to travel through his son, Isaac. So God told him this. And in the middle of all this, Abraham is thinking, "Okay, well, now he just told me to sacrifice him. And this is where Abraham's faith was tested. Will he trust God and his word that it will be the best outcome? The reason this example is so important is because based on what God had already told Abraham 
It's inconceivable how this would happen if he sacrificed his son. And that's why it's an example of faith. Again and again in scriptures, you see people pointing back to this. Abraham and his test of faith. So Abraham, in the biblical account in Genesis 22, he went up to sacrifice his son. He loaded up the supplies. He had his son. He had the firewood. And his son noticed and said, like, well, where's the animal to sacrifice? There was no animal because Isaac, his son, was the sacrifice. So Abraham took faith. He traveled, went to the park to sacrifice his son. And right before the sacrifice was to happen, God stopped him. And he provided a sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed instead, which actually signifies the substitute, just like Jesus was given the sacrifice for us. And through this whole account, you see this deep faith of Abraham. And what James is saying is if he had faith, but didn't decide to sacrifice his son, would we have the picture of it? What if God said, sacrifice your son, Abraham? And he says, sure. And he just stayed in his tent and just napped all day. Would we have been able to see his faith? Jesus is saying, no. All we see is a guy sleeping in a tent. But we see faith by what he did. And ultimately, he trusted God that the outcome would work out, even not knowing it. And if he stayed within his commands and did what God said, it would work out, even not knowing how. That's what faith is. So James is saying, if, if you want another example, look at Father Abraham, which is a great picture because by the fact that he chose faith, they have the story to tell. If he hadn't have chose faith, it would not be an example. So you see, just by his faithful steps, it changed history. Everyone had a reference point. And it impacts generations today. So James gives this example, kind of like, okay, I'm going to just hit you right here where all of you know. You know this story. You know his story about faith. And just in case they missed that example, they give him another one. James gives another one of Rahab. And you see Rahab's pressure cooker was bleak and dreadful circumstances. Now, again, I don't have time to really read the whole account of history. This is Old Testament books. This is found in Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 2, if you want to read about Rahab, you can. But basically, the sum of it is Joshua is the new leader of the Israelites. Moses has died. He has big shoes to fill, and he's leading God's people into the lands and to do what God says. And they have this, their, their eyes on this land, Jericho, and God says to Joshua, you know, I'm going to give you this land. But there's a king of Jericho who doesn't fear God, doesn't trust God, and stands against God. And there's this idea of God's going to give you Jericho. And so Joshua sends spies to check out uh, this, this land, to kind of come up with a strategy for how would this battle go? And this was a mighty fortress of the time. There was no greater fortress than Jericho. Like once they're in and fortified, like you cannot penetrate it. So Joshua's sending spies and trying to figure out how it's going to happen. Long story short, the king of Jericho and the leaders get word that there are spies from the Israelites coming to check out their city. And these two spies end up in the house of a person named Rahab. Now, Rahab had a profession that you probably wouldn't want written in the scriptures for everyone to read like today. And she was a prostitute. And James is using this example to say, 
You want to see another example of faith? Okay, now, Father Abraham, we all know what great faith he had. But let's talk about Rahab, the prostitute. And then that's when it's like, oh, man, he's using an example of her. What does that mean for me? And what happened is, is Rahab had this specific moment where her loyalty to the king of Jericho or her loyalty to this God that she didn't quite know was kind of, she had this choice. And she had heard about the God of the Israelites. She had seen how they had conquered lands. She had seen this group of people that followed him. And you know, she had this kind of idea of what that was. And at this point, she had to make a decision. Would you use this information of these people who are staying with you? So they came to stay with her and she hid them out. Would she use that information to advance her standing in the land of Jericho under the king? Or would she protect them and therefore please this God of the Israelites? And what she chose to do, she chose to hide them out, allow them to escape so they could get back to the land. But the agreement was, is if I protect you and you don't get found out and you're safe. When you come and conquer the city of Jericho, spare me and my family. And they made an agreement that day. And the spies hid out, went on their way back and reported to Joshua. And they shared this story about Rahab, the prostitute that helped them, allowed them to escape. And the word was, not one troop lay hand on Rahab and her household. And they were spared. And to this day, we talk about that story because she and her family lived among the Israelites after they conquered Jericho. And it's a story of her faith. But it was faith that translated into action. It was faith that was true and was real. If you look at Abraham and you look at Rahab, what James is saying is, look at these examples. Their faith was accompanied with works. Their faith led them to change. And when I look at it, is I think, what kinds of fears did they face? Abraham, how do you explain Going to sacrifice your son after the promise God gave you. Rahab, her one chance to get ahead with a king. To have an advantage in life after what I imagine was a rough life. She chose loyalty to God. And so by both these examples, you see faith made alive by action. Faith where Jesus is the center of life. And James is saying, it's when you face these pressures, just like Abraham, just like Rahab, that's where your faith becomes real. And I want to close out by just encouraging and challenging you. What are the things that you're facing right now where the pressure is turned up and God wants to make your faith real? What are those for you? So what is my pressure cooker right now? For some of you, it may be big decisions that you're making. As you look at Abraham, you look at Rahab, these are big moments in history. These are kind of overwhelming things that they face. And for some of you, it could be the same. You're trying to figure out a career change. You're trying to figure out family life and make decisions and maybe finances. And you're just trying to wrap your mind around maybe tons of things that are unraveling. And you're just feeling the pressure of your future. You're feeling the pressure of your past kind of overwhelmed in your present and all that you have going on. We all face major things. And God wants to make our faith real in the midst of that. And so these big things are real. God wants to meet you there. And it's in that tension and that pressure that you can turn to God and get his help. 
But you know what I was also thinking? Like for some of us, our issue with faith is not these overwhelming things. For some of us, our issue with faith is in the really small things. Like our pressure cooker isn't major. It's, it's the daily decisions and the grinds that we face. So some examples I was thinking in my own life where God wants my faith to become real is loving people. Okay, the definition of love in the scriptures is one of sacrifice, where you put someone else's goals above your own. That's where my faith is tested. And what James described is what, what if someone comes to you and they have a deep need and you have an opportunity to meet that need, but you just say, you know what, I, I hope that works out for you. That's not love. That's not sacrifice. So God wants me and he wants you in the middle of loving people. Like, where can our faith be real? By choosing a sacrifice for them. Choosing to listen when we don't want to listen. Choosing to slow down when we don't want to slow down. Choosing to help when we don't necessarily want to help. That's where your faith becomes real. And asking, what, what does God want me to do in this situation? Uh, with your finances, trying to make a budget, try to live on a budget, trying to actually give and sacrifice to the kingdom of God and to be generous with people, that's where your faith becomes real. If you choose to give to God's purposes and give 10% as, as God commands, that's when it becomes real. As somebody has a need and it doesn't fit within your plan, does God want you to sacrifice to, to give to something? That's when your faith becomes real. The third thing, what about standing up for what you believe? Standing for the truth, fighting for what is right. In a culture where we can believe anything except that we have the truth. What if God were to have us grow our faith in that? And I was thinking, what about sharing our faith with others? What better way? For us to see our faith and our action come alive where we're willing to tell people the difference that Jesus made in our life. I think in my own life, all the reasons I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't want to take the time to kind of walk through this area of this spiritual thing and just wonder what they're going to think. And then at the core of it, it's like, I'm, I'm afraid what people are going to think or say. And that's why the definition of faith is so, so good, because oftentimes We don't step out in faith to do what God wants because we fear things other than him. And when you fear God and you trust in him, you can choose to do even the hard things. Because what you fear determines what you do. And instead of it crippling us, fearing God actually enables us to live this life like Abraham who's gone before us. And like Rahab. And you know why I'm so excited that Rahab is in there? Because she was a prostitute. If I'm really honest... Because you see history and lives changed from somebody with a shady background, somebody that didn't have it all together. And I think, like, that's me. Not literally. <laughs> Make sure you know that. But, but that represents, like, broken people. And that's, like, what's beautiful about it. Even Abraham, even David, even Paul. These history, like, historical people that have just moved faith forward and moved relationship with Jesus forward, like, they're flawed. And we're flawed. And so faith isn't just this grandiose idea or belief. It's actually meeting God in the situations you're facing and choosing to trust him and to fear him. That his outcomes are the best outcomes and his ways are the best ways. 
So I encourage you. The second part of that question is this. So what's my pressure cooker? And then do you have it on there? How does God want to use it to grow my faith? So, so ask that. This is where it gets great. Because now you have to look at your life. And with what you're facing right now, where's the pressure? And how may God want to grow your faith? So I encourage you to think about these questions uh, this week. Those could be some next steps. Speaking of next steps, I want to close out our time. I'm going to invite the band up. And first, you know, ask yourselves these questions. And then there's a couple other next steps that you can take. John had you fill out that connection card. If you can pull that out and finish filling that out, if you haven't, I encourage you to take these next steps. Again, faith and action. The reason we have next steps is we want to encourage you to, to actually do something with what God's laid on your heart. And so uh, the first next step, apart from these questions, is take a step of faith in blank. Like what is something you're facing right now where the pressure is on, where God wants you to choose faith, choose to trust him, choose to fear him. Think about what area that is. It could be relationship. It could be finances. It could be conflict. It could be the unknown of your future. It could be with your anxiety. I don't know what it is for you, but, but think about that. And the second is ask God to show me any areas of my life where my faith is true, but not real. This is going to take a little bit of time, but is there areas in your life where you have like a knowledge of God and a belief of him, but you actually don't see it in your life? Like, you know, I'm challenged on like loving people. Am I willing to love people in the mess of life? And how do I measure that? Well, how much am I involved in the mess with other people? And so for you, it may be different, but what, where is it true, but not real? And then the third is to get you ready for next week. You can read James three and then come back next week. We're going to talk about what happens when you open your mouth. What are the pressures you face? And if you're like me, there's great pressure when that trap door opens. Okay. So I hope you guys can read that and come back. Let's pray and we're going to sing and receive our offering. God, you are mighty and good. And throughout history, you have been true to us and you are real. We can see who you are and we can experience who you are in history through the lives of others. But also we can look around us and see your hand even on us. Even some of the time when we have so little faith, you still work. And so, God, we, we know you want to grow our faith. You want to grow our capacity to trust in you and to fear you. And so, God, help us to see the situations that are right around us where we can meet you in the middle of the pressure and learn. God, help us. Uh, there's everything in us where we want ease and we want to go around the pressure. So just help us to see the opportunities that you bring along, even unforeseen, unwanted, and sometimes even nuisance circumstances. So God, just give us eyes to see what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.